0: So, yeah, good morning again. My name is David Lee. I'm a pastor intern here at Eagle Ridge Bible Fellowship. And, yeah, this morning I'm really excited to introduce Sam Dick. Uh, He is a speaker for this Sunday. And I believe Sam is no stranger to us, as he has come to share with us many times. Uh, Sam works with the Western Canadian team of Multiply. So Multiply is our MB Church planting arm, and he oversees discipline programs and short-term missions opportunities for young adults and adults. And today he will share a message about the role of service in spiritual formation. And I'd like to invite Sam to come up here.
1: Thank you, Pastor David. It's good to see you again. It's good to be here, everybody. How are you doing? It's nice to worship with you this morning, and I bring greetings from my church, South Abbotsford Church, that is doing a grad celebration as well this morning, and uh, I'm missing it, but my son's on there, on their screen with his grad photo, and so I've got two kids. My daughter's 20 years old, and my son's 18, and he's... Graduating, so we—I went to my first convocation on Friday because when my daughter graduated two years ago, there was no such thing; things were banned everywhere, as you can imagine. And uh, and then tomorrow, Monday, is is graduation official. So um, he's sad; it's his first kind of milestone moment of moving on. He's uh, going to SFU next year. He'll try to figure out how to commute from Abbotsford. So that'll be a fun challenge. And welcome to the young lady who's coming to UFV, my, my neck of the woods. Where'd she go? Did she leave? Yeah. She's probably helping and serving somewhere, isn't she? Um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of the stage of life I'm at. And uh, thanks for the introduction. I do work with Multiply, our global mission agency. And uh, it's, uh, it's just an honor. To be able to do that in an equipping, mobilizing role. I make friends in many different ways. I've got a little coffee business, you'll hear on the side, that um, creates a market for some of the people our missionaries are serving in Myanmar. And uh, I'll, I'll share about that in, in a way. I, you know, in one way I serve is that I will invite you to do the same. Sacrifice who you are for the sake of others. And uh, and uh, so I did that. I do that even through 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 a little coffee business. And I brought some here for you to taste. Actually, after this service, I think their after service brew is gonna be Lighthouse Coffee, so you can try it. So you've been on a series of spiritual transformation. In case you didn't know, some of you might be new. Some of you might be tuning in online, and you're like, "What does that mean?" Well, it's a series. And uh, today, like has been announced, it's uh, being transformed through service. So possibly the Holy Spirit's been teaching you things already. And just take a moment, just reflect back. You know, last week was the church. Ariel was preaching on how, how the body of Christ transforms us. And I, I, was, I actually listened to it, and I was struck by um, how she ended. And uh, usually I don't remember what happened last Sunday, right? You don't remember a sermon, and you might not either. But she paused with... with um, the words of that song, we will walk with each other, we will walk hand in hand, we're will. Walk, or side by side. No, we'll walk hand in hand, and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians. You know, the walking and the working is service. I don't know. And how else will the, the world see and know we are Christians unless we express our love? And how do we do that if we don't serve? Um, what do you think of when you think of service? Christian service. Do you think of things like a typical list? And there's no, I'm nothing, I'm not belittling these, but do you think of being an usher? Do you think of teaching Sunday school if you play an instrument? Do you think of strumming or, or tinkling the ivories up here? What do you think of? Maybe you think of other things like volunteering, activism, serving in a soup kitchen, balancing your time. This is, this is time I give to the church. This is time for me and my family. Or this is time I give to the city, and this is time for my business. This is give back. This is me. I'm not, I, I was like, how do I prepare for a sermon like this without laying guilt trips on all of us to make us busier and to make us feel like we're not doing enough? Because that's not the intent. That would never be the intent. And my church is as guilty as any of them on kickoff week in the fall for kind of going, can we get a little more out of you in this building, on this campus, with our ministries? I'm I'm not sure that's the only service activity. Like, what's the point and what's the why behind it? And who are we and who is God and what's he inviting us to? So this morning I thought I'd take just just a step back. I mean... Pastor David invited me to to just kind of unpack maybe how did Jesus equip his disciples for service. Um, That was an interesting thought. Well, he certainly didn't send them to school. We celebrated school here and some graduations, which is awesome, but that's not how he equipped them, only. He didn't give them a certification process before they could serve, or it was kind of more of a life-on-life mentoring, coaching. Watch me serve others, and then you serve others. Watch me do it this way, then you try it. We'll debrief you after it's done. And then, you know, ultimately, where did Jesus' service lead him? To laying down his life. Laying down life. Far more than an hour on Sunday or, you know, a balancing act of me time, service time. I think. So I thought I'd back up and I'd do something that's just a little bit different and look at four short stories, and watch a progression through the stories of how Jesus moves people and trains people in mission. You're gonna catch on what I mean pretty quick. First story, this is how it goes, Luke 5, one to three. I think the, the words are, oh boy, you're gonna be able to read that, aren't you? Pretty small. Well then, just listen. This is, I'm reading from the message, on one occasion, While the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he, Jesus, was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked to be put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Imagine if this place was so packed today, you know, that I had to, and we were sitting on a hillside, and there was a lake behind us, and I'm sitting on the beach, And there's no room, and I'm like, hey, I find a boat there. Hey, Simon, can I just jump in your boat and just give me some distance here? Then I'm going to sit down, I'm going to teach the crowds. Spiritual principles taught on the shore. Where are the people that he's teaching, by the way? They're not in a synagogue. They're out there somewhere. They're at the ball diamond. I don't know what's the equivalent of the beach. They actually have we have beaches today. They're out there. That's where Jesus was. Think about that for a minute. As he serves them by teaching them. He steps into a boat. And then I have this little side note to thought. Someone owns that boat. His name is Simon. Simon's a businessman. He's got the business of fishing, which he's probably inherited from for generations. What are the modern-day examples of boats that Jesus and the teachers of, pe- of our disciples could step into that are owned by business people that could give platform to teach crowds? That's another way of thinking of serving. But let me just unpack this a little bit. My point is this. This kind of learning and spiritual transformation that you get from Jesus on the day when you're sitting on a beach is kind of a passive learning model. It's It's one-way communication. Someone is teaching, everybody else is receiving. Communication, like I said, is one way, right? Just like we're doing right now, and retention is really low. That's why every university knows that we need to get practical and and have praxis and field trips and practical um, expressions of what we're learning. But isn't this how most discipleship often looks when we talk about it in the church? Another class, another sermon, another teacher teaching. And believe me, I'm all for good teachers and great teaching. I love a good teacher as much as the next person. But the principles that you might learn aren't really tested while you sit there. And it actually all depends on how much can you remember or be transformed while you're sitting there. Write down and then go do and go and practice. And, you know, all you're ever hearing is that the stories from the person, the guy or the gal with the microphone, is you're kind of living vicariously through their experience. My father-in-law, my wife's dad, was a pastor for, many, for his whole career. He's now retired. And when he would, he would hear stories of great things happening in the person's life who's teaching, he's like, ah, oh, I'm so tired of warmed-up biscuits. Give me some fresh bread. I want my own story. I want my own story. So how do you get fresh bread? Or another way of looking at it would be if, you're, if you were teaching your son to fish, how long would you talk about it at the kitchen table? Just talk. Fishing's great, kid. Like, you got to try it. Like, fishing is awesome. Fishing has changed my life. Like, I once caught this huge fish when I was out fishing with art from my church. It was a massive—and sp- then the, your kid's just like, like, Dad, like, can we, can we try it sometime? Like, what happens when you actually put the rod in the hand and you practice casting? Or you, you know, you, if you're fly fishing, you practice together with Dad. Something goes on that's different. Fresh bread comes from taking a risk to get involved. Crowds tend to stay on the shore. That's my point. Crowds stay on the shore. But individuals and small groups of radical people stand up out of the pews and get involved. Story number two. Same Chapter Next verse. So when he had finished teaching in that boat, Jesus said to Simon, the business guy, the owner of the boat, the fisherman, hey, push out into the deep water and let your nets out for a catch. Simon said, hey, master, we've been fishing all night. In his mind, he's going, you're the son of a carpenter. You know nothing about fishing. Um, We haven't caught even a minnow. But if you say so, I'll let out the nets. And it was no sooner said than done. Then a huge haul of fish came in, straining their nets past capacity. They waved to their partners in another boat to come and help them. They filled both boats, nearly swamping them with the catch. Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell to his knees before Jesus. Master, leave. I'm a sinner. I can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. When they pulled in their catch of fish, Awe overwhelmed Simon and everyone with him. It was the same with James and John, Zebedee's sons, co-workers with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, there's nothing to fear. From now on, you're going to fish for men and women. So they pulled up their boats on the beach, left their nets and all and followed him. Here you see a little bit of spiritual formation principles changing a little bit. It's a little bit like object lesson time, is it not? It's it's more of an active learning model. Not the whole crowd fits in the boat. A few disciples jump in the boat. They push off from shore, and Jesus has a GPS fish finder in his supernatural power. He knows there's multitudes of fish just milling around down there in the middle of the morning after fishing all night. It's happening in real time, in real life, and it's happening in a real boat. And now if these theoretical principles that Jesus could have taught all day are kind of put into action. What are these disciples learning when, they're, when they've been fishing all night, they're tired, they've heard him teach, now he's saying, throw out your nets. Just, just throw them out on the other side. Like that magical eight foot or ten foot or how wide's the boat? Other side of the boat is, it has got a school that wasn't on this side. But he says... If you say so, we'll let the nets out. And here, Jesus, I, I got this little side note again. He's using the business of fishing to teach some principles of trust and obedience. Okay, business friends, what if God gave you a crazy idea that actually took off? It became a, a, a catch, so to speak. Too big for you to handle and your nets start breaking. And you call, call all your partners to start merging with you and partnering with this incredible hall. What did it take to get there? Maybe a little bit of a risk. Trust and obedience is the first step to activating a disciple towards service. It, it's, it's, it's the only way. God might be telling you something right now. The only way you're gonna see it realized is to go do it. A blessing is not a blessing until you give it away, by the way. That's kind of like, also, spiritual principle 101. All the way from back to Abraham, I'm gonna make you a blessing so that you will be a blessing. I'm gonna bless you so you can bless others. Obedience is the first step towards serving and that spiritual transformation that comes. You don't, you don't debate good news. You can. We like to, but it's a lot better to go and share it with someone and demonstrate it with a pie or some felt need that somebody might have. You can send emails to refugees, but it's another thing to host one in your home. Have them for dinner. Put them up for night. You know, in, in the Ukraine, we have, a, we have a, an office in Europe, in Germany, and Johann Matiz and Heinrich Rempel, they are our staff, Multiply staff in Europe, and they have been um, encouraging us and keeping a chat group open all the time from Ukraine where pastors in, I will say, our Mennonite brethren denomination have become like chaplains on the front lines. And they put on bulletproof vests, and they put on a hard hat, and they go and they find wounded soldiers, doesn't matter what side, and they pray for them. They pray for them at great risk. They're stuck in the country, but they're still pastors, and they call themselves chaplains, comforting scared soldiers on both sides. That's service, by the way. And that's transforming them by giving away in a radical way and giving up and risking some things. Sometimes it's a radical thought that might have real impact that Jesus is giving you to kind of sacrifice some of your agency not just your money, but your time, your energy, your, your relationships, all that you have for the sake of someone else. So you move from the shore to a boat, and then number three, what happens next? Well, it actually isn't chronological, but I'm making it chronological for this sermon. Point number three, story number three, Luke 8. One day, he and his disciples got in a boat Again. Let's cross the lake, he said, and off they went. And it was smooth sailing, and Jesus fell asleep. A terrific storm came up on the lake, suddenly on the lake. Water poured in, and they were about to capsize. They woke Jesus. Master, master, we're going to drown. Getting to his feet, he told the wind, silence. And he said to the waves, quiet down. They did, and the lake became smooth as glass. And he said to his disciples, why can't you trust me? They were in absolute awe, staggered and stammering. Who is this anyway? He calls out to wind and sea, and they do what he tells them. They do what he tells them. I'd say here, now these spiritual principles are being tested in a storm. They move from being listened to, to applied, to being now tested. It's it's kind of... um, Well, Jesus asked him, where is your faith? You had faith enough to chuck the net on the other side, but now you're in the middle of a storm, and you think you're going to die, but I'm in the boat with you. And you're thinking right now, how in the world does this story relate to service and being transformed through serving? I'm not sure, but sometimes things don't go as planned when you serve or when you try something that doesn't, a new ministry, a new idea, a new Business that isn't just about Olivia, you know, giving someone a job, but actually giving someone a career. And so you try something. And you hire people that don't have a lot of skill, and you just take a risk on them. That's serving. And it doesn't always go so well, like we thought. Now the application of following Jesus becomes a bit of a te- test. They're still in the boat, but the conditions have changed. You know, it's a storm. There's an active learning model here that capitalizes on crises. And what happens in a crisis? Storms kind of reveal the condition of your heart and your trust. You can't hide in a storm. Back to Ukraine. My colleague, Johann Matis, our leader in Europe, wrestled, shared with a devotional just a few weeks ago, how he wrestles with the goodness of God. We believe some, t- but he did say this. If you believe something to be true about God in the good times, then the same truth remains true during the storm. Imagine a youth group, this is true story he told us, a youth group crammed into one house, um, now behind Russian lines for safety, and they wake up in the morning and there's a tank on their lawn shooting at something. What do they do? Over breakfast, they pray and they worship that whatever he's shooting at misses, or whatever is being hit, that the grace of Jesus will be upon it. And about however long, 15 minutes later, the tank's gone, there's a few ruts in the lawn, and that's their reality. Sometimes prayer is the only way you can serve. But it's worth it in a storm, when you have capacity to do nothing else. Sometimes when one is in crisis, it requires effort to help someone else. And again, I wouldn't lay a guilt chip on you if your capacity is really, really low right now. But it can be quite freeing to find someone in need and share a little bit of what you've got with them, even if you're in a storm. In Ukraine, our children's home has been filled top to bottom with displaced people. Pastors, are, you've, you hear the stories. And pastors are driving van loads of supplies Van fulls of supplies going in and full of people coming out at immense danger, in the middle of a storm. How do they keep serving? Does this lesson apply to them? Absolutely it does. In fact, they might have something to teach us about how to continue to be like Jesus, who gave up his life for his friends. Of course, it's difficult. It's confusing, it's terrifying, it's frustrating, it's angering, it's unjust. But who's in the boat? This one then, who can command the wind and the waves to be quiet. And they're still. These disciples had never seen authority like that. This is, and they were in awe, and and just completely in awe. You know, when you stay on the boat, on the shore, crowds don't get to see that kind of intimacy with Jesus. Or if you're in a storm, they don't know that kind of Jesus. Do you know that kind of Jesus? Have you experienced him? And, you know, storms can appear to be major distractions, but this one happens to be just something to pass through so they can get to the other side. And on the other side, if you keep reading the story, there's a man that's been bound up by many, many demons, and he gets set free, and they get chucked into the pigs and the enemy is caught at his own game. Storms can feel hopeless, but some storms end, and even though they last sometimes a long time, they're meant to be passed through. Something is going to happen, perhaps, on the other side. Yeah, we could talk a long time about our neglect and our lack of a theology of suffering, but sometimes it affects our, our fear of suffering or our victory theology of getting to the other side we we forget to serve while life is hard we forget to serve after covid and we've shrunk in size and we don't know who's in and who's out anyways great there's lots of seats for people who don't know jesus that's what i'd say bring them in bring them in my neighbor i don't know if she's watching because I barely know her. She was watching, walking her dog yesterday. And I don't know her, because we're new in a community in a townhouse complex. And she told me she's, she's doing this crazy thing. Have you ever heard of it? It's called Precept Bible Study. And I'm like, yo, I've heard of it. It's awesome. What are you learning, Lynn? And she just told me, I'm, I'm thinking of taking my daughter on a tour of Israel with the, with the teacher of this Precept Bible study. I'd never heard of it. She was in Arizona on vacation where she heard of precept Bible study online. Now she's 10 doors down in my townhome complex studying the Bible. People all over the place are finding and meeting ways to grow in Jesus. Her husband doesn't care, she said, too much for what she's doing. But I just was asking her questions about what she was learning. It was fascinating. Even after storms, there's still hungry people out there, friends like after COVID, and the church is still the hope of the world. I could say more about that, but let's go on to the last point. Where are we moving after the storm? Well, Matthew 14 has this story. As soon as the meal was finished, they ate a meal, Jesus insisted his disciples get in a boat. There's a little theme here. And go on to the other side while he dismissed the people. And while the crowds disperse, Jesus climbs up a mountain this time so he can be by himself and pray. He stayed there alone late into the night. Meanwhile, the boat was far out at sea, and the disciples are all alone this time in the boat. You ever been in a storm all alone? It's even scarier than when you're with the master. And he's asleep. And the the waves come up again and batter the boat. And about 4 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water, They were scared to death. It's a ghost, they said, crying out in terror. Jesus was quick to comfort them. Courage, it's me, don't be afraid. Peter, suddenly bold, jumped up. Master, if it's really you, call me to come out to you on the water. He said, Come ahead. Jumping out of the boat, Peter walked on water to Jesus. When he looked down at the waves churning under his feet, he lost his nerve and began to sink. He cried out, Master, save me. Jesus didn't hesitate. He reached down, grabbed his hand, and then he said, Oh, faint heart, what got into you? And the two of them climbed into the boat. That sounds pretty easy. It's pretty hard to do, I think, climbing into boats in the middle of a windstorm. But the wind died down. The disciples in the boat, having watched the whole thing, worshipped Jesus. Again, this is it, they said you are God's son for sure. (laughs) Like, absolutely for sure. I just love this translation because it just gets to the organic down-to-earthness of these disciples who are following a rabbi and a teacher in real time and learning how to serve people. Here, these spiritual principles are experienced. That's the word I would come up with. you got to experience this life. On your own, know Jesus, Disciples are alone in the boat. This is very active. It's faith stretching. And then Jesus comes. And Peter, who knows the voice of Jesus, recognizes it. Can barely, you can barely pick out the, the shape of a human. They actually think it's a ghost because who else can walk on water? And Peter's like, no, that's Jesus' voice, man. If it's you, call me to come and I'm going to jump out of this boat. Peter cared less if the other guys were scared of dirtying their designer robes. He didn't go grab a snorkel. He didn't even think about swimming. He wanted to walk just like Jesus. If Jesus can, I can. He was motivated out of love, not an attitude of doing, I think. That's my master. If he can do it, I can do it. That's a total different motivation for service, out of love, than just activism. I'm so burned out, like, right now, because I... I'm studying, I'm taking summer classes, I got a full-time job, debt hanging over my head, and now the church is asking me to do more. Do, 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 do. Peter wanted it all. What do you want, Jesus? And, you're th- and maybe, maybe you're like me, you said, you said yes to Jesus a long time ago, but maybe you're still in the boat. And he's saying, now's a good time to try something completely crazy, that is actually counter-Christian culture. Most disciples put on raincoats and just tell you to sit down and stop rocking the boat. Don't be silly. That really is a ghost. Don't fall. You can't walk on water. And Peter being, you know, I always taught, was taught that, you know, silly Peter, just sit down. You know, especially us Mennonites. Like, just don't, don't do something crazy. That's, you're going to look foolish doing. Jesus prays and walks on water. Peter just kind of like freaks out and walks on water. And the rest of the crowd is like trying to stay dry. You know, I think there's misconceptions about the kinds of people who get to walk on water. I think, I think you sometimes think of missionaries or pastors or vocational people spiritual superstars, but what about the young entrepreneur who loves Jesus? What about the bull or the accountant or the teacher or the the kid who just likes to write gaming codes for a gaming company? You know, you might think, oh, maybe it's risk-takers and bold and the gifted and the strong and the adventurous and the crazy or the popular. I don't know. How about the shy and the insecure the willing, the obedient, the humble, the faithful followers in this world. I've got a friend. Her name is Layar. She's 27 years old. I was on Zoom with her on Monday this week. She has her business management degree from Bangkok University. She doesn't live in Bangkok in a nice accounting firm or, doing, or in a business man, using her business management. God's called her back to her home country. She's a Myanmar person. She's Burmese. And for the last two and a half years, she's been managing a little coffee collective, 70 to 100 freehold coffee farmers, that she's earned trust and respect with her team and the pastors with her, and that she's been invited into homes, started Bible studies. I can say this here. They baptized 80 to 83, 81 to 83 people. They're not quite sure of the number. Last year because of a coffee business. And Laya's dream is to take it six hours further into the mountains. Why, we asked her on Monday? Because that's where my village is. She didn't say this on the call, she said it before. It's not gonna be a Bible school student from Thailand that plays guitar and sings songs that's gonna win my people for Jesus. It's gonna be a holistic gospel that gives them the ability to have a living wage with the products they grow. Wrote a little story on a card that's out by the coffee out there. Where, just this week, she's telling us that coffee farmers are seeing hope now in coffee that they never saw before, and they're cutting down their poppy fields and they're planting coffee trees. Poppy, poppies are grown for opium, by the way, 17 times more um, productive and lucrative as a cash crop. But what's the more dignifying choice? These people know what it is. They want to be coffee farmers. And Layar is reaching them for Jesus. But it's a war-torn country. Pre-Ukraine, it was the one in the world hotspot for a military regime that was overthrowing the government. I could tell you lots of stories. That's crazy scary. In fact, the, the, the pallets of green coffee that came from Laya that was all hand-picked and hand-sorted landed just before Christmas um, a few months ago. In December 19th, it arrived here. Only two of the sacks had bayonet slash marks in them as they got from the mountain down to the port. I don't know why the soldiers were harassing them. I'm glad they stuck the coffee bags and not the person driving. That's the world they live in to this day. Perseverance. And she was just with a big smile on her face on Zoom, saying, Pastor Sam, she calls me a pastor. We're praying every day you can sell all your coffee because then you'll buy more. We have no other market or capacity to find another market right now. I think Laya is serving Jesus and it's changing her life, transforming her life in the middle of a storm by holding this little vision on a coffee. It's not about coffee, but where you put the bean, it's kind of like the boat. How are you going to use the boat? You can use it to teach as a platform. You could use it to take some disciples in and, and trust Jesus with a little idea that you have to catch fish on the other side. You could use it to go through a storm. What's that ex- experience that Jesus is inviting to? you? I'll close, I'll close with this. Where are you today? There's a grid of the four... I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not a scientific formula, and it's probably cyclical that we go back to the beach and then we jump in a boat and then we go get some more equipping. And... But I really didn't want to say, here's what serving means in the way that we often do. I want you to think about your whole life and everything you've got today, while it is today, whether you're close to 80 or you're pushing 16 years old. You have something to bring to this world because we're still here. And mission or volunteering is another way of serving. And in this world that's super exploitative, I've got one slide here. Like we live in an exploitative world. it's, It's a world where you can take all you can get. And then you move and you become a Christian, it's like, let's be ethical. Let's do the right thing. Let's seek to help, and let's create charity. I think there's another way of looking at life that Jesus invites us to. It's a kingdom worldview. It's a redemptive worldview where we seek to restore things that are broken. And I think as we sacrifice through service and seeking to love, that's going to change your life. And I invite you to do it. It's not too late. You've probably got experiences in the in past about doing this, restoring something to its original place, sacrificing so that something or someone can be transformed, or just creating something new to help someone. Doesn't that kind of inspire you? Or maybe getting beside someone who's starting something new and bringing your management skills so they can see their dream and vision implemented. Don't know who you are, but I want to encourage you to walk fearlessly with Jesus this week, this week. If you can't apply this this afternoon, what's the point of a sermon? You can and I can. I can drive home to Abbotsford and go, Lord, how can I serve you? Because I want to be motivated by love like Peter did. Is there a boat you want me to get out of? Not because you're beating me up for sitting in the boat and being scared, but because you in love are beckoning me out onto the water? Service transforms us, my friends, and service definitely transforms others. Thanks for letting me share a little bit from my heart today. I think the worship team's coming.
0: Why don't we pray? Thank you, God, that you sent Jesus on earth not to be served, but to serve us. You said, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. So thank you, God, that you showed us the great model of how we should live. We are living here to follow you, to follow your model, And your life on earth was serving others. Give your life for others. And I remember when I was sick, my mom ran to the next door neighbor who was a woman elder. And she knocked on the door and the lady came with her pajama to pray for us. And because of her serving and prayer and sacrifice, uh, now I'm standing here knowing you and praising you and worshiping you. So, Father, as we go today, help us to see the places that we can serve, small things and big things. Uh, Help us to be able to practice what we have learned today so that your name and you will be glorified through this. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. And also, don't forget that we have uh, always a prayer team after the service. So if you want a prayer, please come and sit with us and pray together. Thank you.